her upbringing was uh, absolute. What was that? Uh, absolutely. I don't know what's happening. It's really hot. Oh my god. Oh, that's my least favorite part. Hi. How are you? Welcome back to Murder's a Drag. This is Murder's a Drag. If you're new here, then buckle up, bitch, because this is going to get crazy. Hair flip. Let's get down to business. It's Thursday. I'm so sorry. I don't think you guys tend to care that much. Nobody's ever complained about it. It's still weekly episodes. I just don't know what day of the week. Generally, it was Wednesdays, but Wednesdays, I don't know, weren't working out for me. Guys, I don't know. I'm here. I'm making an episode. Let's get down. Let's get dirty. So this week, I reached out to a filmmaker in Wilmington, North Carolina named Tab Ballas, and he'd been working on this project for quite a while called Parkview, named after a lesbian bar that used to exist right on the coastline border of Greenfield Lake. 30 years ago at this bar started one of the most horrific nights in Wilmington's history when Talana Krieger left that bar with a long-haul trucker and was murdered. Today, Wilmington is home to University of North Carolina at Wilmington. It's a big college town. There's multiple bars around. There's like a little city district and it's very artsy. There's, it's become a boho kind of vibe, but it's definitely very much still in the Bible Belt, North Carolina. It's still in North Carolina. When Talana was growing up in North Carolina, things were vastly different than they are today. They're not good today by any means, but they were much worse back then which is hard to imagine, but you'll definitely understand by the end of this episode. Talana K. Krieger was born September 25th, 1957, in Missouri, somewhere in the humid state of Missouri. I imagine it's hell living there, to be honest. It just feels sticky when I say the name. Missouri. Her upbringing was absolutely far from easy. It wasn't a nice, smooth transition into adulthood. It was rough. She did not have it easy. Her father was a long-haul trucker who passed away early on in Talana's life. After the death of her father, Talana lived in a car with her mother for a while, and that was the only place that she knew as a home. But she didn't talk about that much later in life and sort of kept that dark time to herself. She was particularly close with her cousin, Tawana Paulson, and as a young girl, Tawana was best friends with Talana. Talana and Tawana, that's cute. In the documentary, Tawana said that Talana was not the type of child that you would see get angry or get upset. You'd never see her in a bad mood. She was just a happy-go-lucky kid that had a great disposition on life from the very beginning. She remarked on how Talana was just good-hearted and good-natured, even after the world had gotten to her. A friend of Talana's made a connection between her and Ellie Mae Clampett from Beverly Hillbillies, actually. She had a love for animals and nature and very curly, very voluminous, and beautiful blonde hair, which is no doubt what led her to draw that comparison between Talana and Ellie Mae. Talana was very much a flower child, in touch with nature, in touch with her spiritual side. She was running free, and she was dressed the part. I mean, look at the outfit. It's first of all, sickening, second of all, need it, and third of all, serving. By the time Talana had reached high school, her family was living in Jacksonville, North Carolina, which is another coastal town here. Her mother had suffered a stroke earlier in her life and was at that point walking with a cane, so Talana and her mother were living together. Talana was her mother's primary caretaker and she was dealing with high school. And when her mother was diagnosed with cancer and began her battle with that, Talana had to make the tough decision to drop out of high school so that she could take care of her mom while she was dying. And it was in this fragile state, at that young age, that she lost her mother, having already lost her father, 
But she didn't let that break her, and she didn't let that make her any less Talana. She still lived her life with that free spirit, with that positive outlook, and you didn't really catch her not smiling. When her mother passed, her shitty fucking stepfather kicked her out of the house, leaving Talana to fend for herself at this young age. She had no high school diploma, she had no connections, no skills at the time that could get her anywhere, so she was really stuck on her own, just left to fend for herself completely. Among this really confusing time is when Talana started to come to terms with the fact that she was a lesbian. The summer of 1975, when Talana's friends graduated high school, they did a lot of self-discovery. In the documentary, her friend Jackie sits there and she's like, we did a lot of discovering ourselves that summer. And she kind of gives that smile off into the distance and I was like, lesbian stuff happened that summer. <laughs> And on that note, Talana became a carpenter. And a damn good carpenter at that. Probably because all lesbians are just that powerful and talented. She began working odd jobs, doing little remodels and landscaping work here and there. You know, typical carpenter stuff. And she got into like this farm situation where she had five cats, three dogs, goats, chickens, the whole shebang. She was living her farm life, doing great out there. And she decided she needed a little bit of a change. And she was making friends and stuff, including Lynette Miller, who remembers fly fishing with Talana, and Talana getting very frustrated when Lynette couldn't figure out the fly fishing situation, cursing at her. I think that would probably be the only story that I heard of Talana getting frustrated with anybody. And it definitely was a lighthearted frustration. Like a, wow, how did this fly fishing thing get tangled up in this tree? Fly fishing thing, you know, the line, the string. The string that the fish eat. I think that's how it works. Lynette got to experience Talana at her happiest in those situations, out in nature, enjoying herself, completely uninhibited, just having a great time. And Lynette made a connection that I hadn't made when I first read the case, and it's pretty heartbreaking. She said, Someone that loved the earth, and being in the trees, and in the woods, and to die there like that. She kind of trails off. She's very emotional in the documentary. It was clear that she and Talana were very close. Just the brutality of this case is is really rattling. Talana was definitely one of the more free-spirited and wild individuals that you could have in your friend group. Her friend Jackie said, quote, she took you to the edge. We threw caution to the wind a lot, a lot. Again, Jackie really giving it all away with her body language. <laughs> they definitely lived life on the edge, Talana and Jackie, that's for damn sure. <laughs> After Jackie makes that comment, her friend Anna Grover, sitting next to her, who was also very close with Talana, said, The hitchhiking. Can you believe that? It was nothing to go out and hitch a ride to the beach. And we never had any problems. I mean, it was fine. That just really highlights how trusting of a soul Talana was, and that it wasn't that abnormal for her to be so trusting, because everybody in her friend group was like that. It was the norm to not be able to meet a stranger. That anybody that you met was immediately no longer a stranger as soon as they told you their name. It was very lax back then as far as it went for serial killers or the paranoia that we have today. Being that very free-spirited individual that Talana was, it wasn't very long before she packed up her red and white car that everybody remembered speeding around Jacksonville in with her and moved it all out to Wilmington. The appeal there being that Wilmington's bigger than Jacksonville, it's sort of like the nearest city, and if you've stuck with me, you know that queer people tend to go to the nearest city as they get older because it tends to be more liberal there and presents more opportunities for queer folks to live their lives not in terrified fear all the time. Talana quickly found a job as a carpenter working for Laney Builders, and that was kind of her day job gig, and she was quickly welcomed into the community with open arms and found a niche group of friends really fast. They all kind of did carpentry stuff, painted, liked cars, 
the general same vibe that Talana had about her, she met those people, and like I said, she was very friendly, so it didn't take her very long to find friends there in the community. Hey Siri, how far is Jacksonville, North Carolina from Wilmington, North Carolina? Jacksonville is about 56 miles from Wilmington. And Jacksonville was home... <laughs> I can't pretend that I knew that off the top of my head. You guys clocked that. You saw that. And Jacksonville was just a little over an hour away from Wilmington, so it's really not like she was going that far from the friends that she'd already made. Now that Talana was in Wilmington rather than Jacksonville, she had the opportunity to go to gay bars, to meet a much larger queer community, and to sort of settle into that community and find her place there. She wasn't necessarily the one that you would see screaming at a drag show, she was in the flannel and the blue jeans down at the Parkview, which was a grill bar situation that was right off of a very busy highway in Wilmington, cuts right through the town. If you're just passing through, you would pass the Parkview, and it's much less hidden than the regular gay bars in the area. But it's a lesbian bar, so it's a little bit different, and probably takes one a little bit longer to realize that they've walked into a lesbian bar because there's no drag queens, there's no glitter everywhere, it's just ladies in flannels and blue jeans shooting pool, drinking beer. Talana loved it there. It was like a second home to her and she started working on some carpentry stuff there, remodeling the bar. She really had a passion for that place. It really was a second home to her and she wanted to make it as beautiful as possible. Talana and the other ladies of the park view had painted it this peachy coral color, really pretty, very 90s. Anybody who walked into the bar would stop and remark on how pink the bar was and how pretty and pink it is. And it would really irk Wanda, the bar owner, and Talana because it was not pink, in fact, it was peach, it was coral. So they ended up painting on the wall where it said Park View, where the girls twirl, which was the cute quote kind of letting everybody know subtly, it's a lesbian bar. And beside that it said, it's not pink. <laughs> so it was that kind of a family. I mean, when I say family, I truly do mean family. They had everything that it takes to be a family. Talana loved vehicles. I know that's kind of a weird way to say it. People usually say they love cars, but it really didn't matter to Talana. If it had an engine in it, she was interested in it, and she wanted to see inside of it. She wanted to get up in that engine, see how much power it had, mess around with it. She was a tinkerer. She loved anything with a motor in it. She wanted to see inside of that bitch. <laughs> that's probably why on the night of February 21st, 1990, when Ronald Sheldon Thomas walked into the bar standing at six foot two, weighing it at almost 300 pounds, Talana was far from intimidated by him and only interested in the semi-truck that he had pulled up in. Earlier in the evening, Talana had been working on the bar with Wanda and a few others, doing some backroom work where the pool tables were, and when she finished up, she started having a few drinks and shooting pool with Wanda and her friend Heidi. The environment was very relaxed. Nobody was high-strung or anything. It was just a few friends standing around shooting pool, having a couple beers. They had just worked all day and they were just relaxing. So when big old Ron walks in, nobody's alarm bells are entirely raised because they're already relaxed and the bar being situated the way it was, it was definitely far from uncommon for them to get a trucker in there. It was a trucker bar slash lesbian bar. A trucker bar only because of its location and a lesbian bar because it was owned by lesbians. Ron strikes up small talk with the ladies and they start shooting pool together. It's a pretty average evening for them. This is what they do almost every night. Wanda serves him his drinks. They start talking, shooting some shits. 
And then they end up playing pool together because he's like the only guy in there and all the ladies are shooting pool in the back room anyways. So he's kind of following them around to talk to them because he's getting drunk and he's one of them creepy guys. So they were just like, sure, come shoot pool with us. We're friendly people. Let's talk. You're a trucker. We've met a bunch of them. So naturally the conversation shifted to Ron's truck. And when Wanda and Talana asked him if they could go explore it, he handed them his keys and said, go for it. So Talana and... Wanda happily accept that invitation and go check out that awesome friggin' truck that they really wanted to see. In the early morning hours of February 22nd, the group decided it was time to wrap up the night and they started talking about some options for food. Somebody suggested that they go to the Hardee's that's about 15 minutes away from the bar and they started separating. Talana asked Ron if she could ride in his semi with him because she's always wanted to since she was a child. I mean, she grew up, her dad was a long haul trucker. I'm sure she had seen the semi around when she was a kid, never got to go in one. And now that she's been in one, she's completely enthralled with this idea that she's finally gotten to see a semi and maybe she can ride in it now. So she's very eager, asked to ride in it. He says yes, and they're off to Hardee's. Talana was so excited to get in the semi that she didn't mind climbing over all of Ron's disgusting trash in his passenger seat and getting into the back sleeper area of the truck because she was just excited to be able to ride in one. And as soon as they began driving, Ron picked up a conversation about how he knew she was a lesbian and believed it was wrong. And he started berating her about how the only reason that she was a lesbian is because she never had a man truly satisfy her. Ron later testified in court that he knew the women were lesbians because he could just tell by the way that they were acting at the bar. Evidently, Ron's father was a fundamentalist preacher and decided that it was his business to try and talk to people about why their identity was wrong in his eyes, and when they didn't agree, attempt to sexually assault them. Talana verbally fought back with him at that point and stood firm on her ground that she knew who she was, she knew her identity, it had nothing to do with men at all, and that Ron was being a dick and that he needed to stop. Ron pulled off the road behind a pool house near the Parkview Bar around some woods and off the coast, I guess, of Greenfield Lake and told Talana that he needed to get out and pee. When he got back in the truck, he'd grown more angry and his posturing started to get very aggressive and Talana knew where the situation was going, things took a bad turn. Like I said at the beginning of this video, this murder is very, very brutal. I'm not going into very much detail, but I am going to be going into some detail. So if you uh, don't want to hear this, I would recommend skipping ahead about a minute. It's bad. It's very, very bad. It's important to be told. It's important to have just how brutal this murder was in here. I don't want this to be the main point of the video though. So if that's not your cup of tea, Go ahead and fast forward. Ron began to force himself on top of Talana with his full almost 300 pound weight and made a lewd comment about how his penis was too small to satisfy Talana. So he decided he was going to take his hand, lubricate it with water-based hand cleanser that he had in his truck and put it wrist deep inside of Talana. And at this point he grabbed and pulled out of her body her organ. That's apparently referred to as a manual disembowelment. He claims he didn't know what happened. He claims that, that the next thing he knew his hands were covered in blood, but the medical examiner said that there's no way for this to have been an accident. This is an intentional grabbing and pulling downwards of somebody's insides. He manually disemboweled this woman. Talana, still conscious for 10 to 20 minutes after this, told him that she had to pee just so that he would get off of her. She was stuck in this little sleeper cabinet in the back of this truck 
It's the most awful thing that I can imagine happening. It's one of the worst things that I've ever read, truly. Talana collapsed on the ground after getting out of the truck. Ron dragged her 120 feet further into the woods by her arms while Talana pled, please leave me alone, let me die. She knew what was happening, she knew she was going to die, but she still fought for her life and pled. It's heartbreaking. Nobody in their right mind that's... that's just true evil. He dropped Talana in some bushes and left. At 11 a.m., he was at a local high school to make his scheduled delivery, and he acted normal. So Wanda called the high school at about 11 when Ron was supposed to be there. And when Ron picked up the phone and she asked, where's my friend Talana, Ron responded, quote, I don't know what friend you're talking about. And when Wanda questioned Ron if he had been at her bar at all last night, knowing the answer to that question, it was rhetorical. Ron said no. After that delivery, Ron drove two hours north of where he was, and then finally stopped at a truck stop, looked at a phone book, found a pastor, and told him, I beat a woman very badly and I don't know if she's dead. Which was not true. He knew that he had murdered a woman with his bare hands hours earlier, and now the fundamentalist ghost of his father was coming back to him telling him he had to confess. That's not gonna help you now, Ron. Fuck you and fuck your ghost dad. The preacher told him that he would meet him in person to discuss it, but warned him that he'd be bringing a deputy sheriff with him. Ron knew that he'd be arrested. He agreed. Ron gave them a description of where he dumped the body and they went out to look for her remains. All right, and I'm sorry, once again, if you don't want to hear gory details, you might want to skip ahead a minute. When police arrived on the scene, they found Talana's body lying in the woods, face down with her hands clutching pine straw around her, letting them know that she was absolutely alive when she was placed where she was. They also quickly realized that it was one of the most brutal crime scenes that they'd ever stumbled upon. Talana's small intestine was visible, protruding from her body from where she'd been manually disemboweled the night before, and it was clear that she had bled to death in the spot. At her autopsy, medical examiners found that her cause of death was loss of blood due to the ruptured blood vessels that were destroyed by a human hand. And like I said, the medical examiner knew that this was only possible with one motion that had to be intentional. This wasn't accidental. Obviously this wasn't accidental. This wasn't some weird kinky thing that he was doing that he just did something wrong and accident. No, he purposely reached inside of a person and manually disemboweled them. In all the news reports, Talana was dehumanized as a disemboweled corpse found in the woods. Corpse found in the woods. Dead woman found in the woods. She was never humanized. She was never given her identity. They couldn't even do her the justice of giving her her own identity after she was murdered. News reports also didn't even touch the fact that Talana identified as a lesbian. She was a lesbian woman taken from the Parkview, a gay bar, and murdered by a man because she was a lesbian. There was no mention of that. In the newspaper, it was a man who had murdered a woman randomly. And that was that. Her friends and those friends alone kept pressure on local media and police to take this case seriously, take it to trial, and pursue Ron to the fullest extent of the law. On March 12, 1990, Ron was indicted on the first-degree murder and first-degree sexual offense of Talana Krieger. Throughout the trial, crime scene photos were shown, stories were shared, mostly about Ron himself, crime scene photos obviously of Talana, and Ron was given the opportunity to stand in front of the jury and say this. The night this happened, it wasn't me. I wouldn't want to hurt nobody. I asked God why this happened, and he ain't told me yet, but he gave me a piece of heart. I've got to answer to him, but I know in my heart I didn't mean to do what I did, and I just ask all of y'all to give me a chance. Fucking bullshit. Among all these legalities, Talana's funeral arrangements still had to be handled, and it was the 90s, 
and it's the Bible Belt. So as you can imagine, that did not go well. Friends had found a local Baptist church that was willing to hold her funeral, and they made this sort of code that you would follow the trail of white balloons through the town, and it would lead you to a church that had a bouquet of balloons on the door. That's how they would know that that's where Talana's service was being held. About halfway through the procession line, everything gets halted as the first person reaches the church and is told that the service is no longer happening, it's been canceled because the preacher found out Talana was a lesbian. Knowing that Talana was a lesbian, he refused to give her the dignity of a funeral in his church. It wasn't gonna happen, he was afraid of the backlash, he's a homophobic, disgusting person. So now 200 mourners are stuck in the streets of Wilmington, trying to have a funeral for their loved one who was just murdered in the most brutal way that I've ever personally heard of in my entire life, and they're being turned down because she was a lesbian. All the churches that they called were giving them a hard no because of the publicity that this case had gotten. And they didn't want to have the funeral there because it was this 90s argument of gays versus God. The AIDS epidemic was just happening and that was God's punishment. So any murders were God's punishment. Finally, somebody gets into contact with Reverend Burton Whiteside of the Church of the Good Shepherd in Wilmington. Reverend Whiteside, who was a genuine Christian, who genuinely cared about everybody that he saw as God's children, was disgusted when he heard that any church would turn away somebody's funeral, regardless of the circumstance. He opened the doors to his church with open arms, and he waited a few hours to accommodate anybody who was lost on the way, lost in the confusion of the funeral being canceled last minute. He had the traditional requiem-type music playing. He allowed all of Talana's friends to speak if they could and tell a story about Talana and really honor her memory in a beautiful way. And although the funeral was able to be pulled together at the last minute, it left the Wilmington queer community with a very bad taste in their mouth and sort of feeling like nobody had their back in the town but them. By the end of the trial, everybody was quite traumatized from the photos, the details, just the pure evil of this case. And the jury found Ronald Sheldon guilty of both of those charges and sentenced him to two concurrent life sentences. Talana's friends weren't very pleased because they had been vying for the death penalty. They saw it as an eye for an eye situation. Personally, I hope that Ronald is regretful of what he did because I think that that's the biggest torture that you could have. Not being killed, sort of an easy way out, unless it's very, very painful, unless he's manually disemboweled. But for him to have to live with himself and know what he did and hopefully come to terms with his religion and know that if there's a hell, he's on the first fucking bus down, that's the worst torture, I think. And that's what he deserves. Talana quite literally helped build, physically build, emotionally build, and in her absence, build the queer community that's in Wilmington today. And it's big there, and it's strong there. The sense of pride in Wilmington is huge. In the spirit of carrying on Talana's legacy and her memory, and making sure that nobody had to go through what she did in life and death, her friends were inspired to start St. Jude, a church that they built and started where the local activist Bob Jenkins says, is a place to marry you, bury you, and mourn for you. Talana's memory is something that needs to be remembered. She was a bright, nature-loving, motorcycle-loving, lesbian woman. And it's important to give her her identity. She was a lesbian woman, and she was proud of that. Rest in power, Talana Krieger. You guys know that means that it's time for transformation action. Pull her back into a ponytail. It's a moment. I've come to pick my kids up from third grade. I just got back from my divorce proceedings. I hope you guys truly learned something about Talana Krieger about her life. I want you to take that memory that I gave you of her and keep that with you because it's important to keep her memory alive. Her memory was belittled down to nothing more than 
a disemboweled corpse found in the wood. She was so much more than that. She was a proud queer woman. She was a very talented carpenter. She was loved by her friends. And she was a bright light in every town that she lived in, in every community that she was a part of. Everybody knew, remembered, and loved Talana. Um, I also have a confession. As you know, each episode I've had in a completely different wig. I've not worn the same wig twice yet. However, this is the last wig I have available that has not already been worn. So, next week it might be a repeat wig. I'm so sorry. We'll see what I can do about it before then. I'll see you guys next week. Mm -hmm.